So this summer's been special walking through 1 Peter, and it was fitting that we took last Sunday off because we're dead in the middle of 1 Peter. It's almost like a half time. Let's go take a break, catch our breath in one of the most intense and ruthless books of the New Testament that describes how Christians are designed to live in the world but not of the world. And instead of jumping right into the second half of 1 Peter at the beginning of this sermon, I want to take a second to make sure we frame this moment in everything God has called us to do this summer, especially for those of you who are new to ACC. If you remember, we started Built Different, our 1 Peter series, at the beginning of June, but in May, we did this series called The Way, and we talked about walking in the way of Jesus, that we were going to look three months from May into August at school starting, which, by the way, we're like right around the corner from school starting. Anybody nervous about that in this moment right now? But we said, <clears throat> I can't cough off to the side because I don't have a microphone in my hand, so I'm sorry if I have to do that several times today. We said, let's look three months ahead at school starting and go, how do we make sure we don't waste this summer on getting superficial rest at the lake, at the pool, at the beach? Like All those things are great. But summer, at least for me and for many of us, is all about this false sense of rest where we don't really get rest for our souls. We take a break from the normal rhythms of life, but we don't really take time to create space to hear from the voice of God. So we said, if we're, if we're walking in the way of Jesus, we've got to create the space to actually listen to and discern his voice, but not just hear what he says as if it's some kind of therapy or counsel. No, he's our Lord, so we respond with a lifestyle of obedience. And so this summer for us has been, are you creating the space to hear the voice of God, and what's he saying, and what's he calling you to? And I just want to tell some of you, if you're new to ACC and you weren't here for that moment in May, it is not too late to make sure you spend your summer on the reason why you have breath in your lungs. You were created for personal communion with God, and it is not too late in this summer to create the space for the voice of God to inform you right where you are right now and to lead to a lifestyle of obedience. And it was so fitting that we did that series, jumped straight into 1 Peter, and we're talking about this letter that urges Christians to live different, that you're chosen, you're set apart by God, but because you've been set apart by God, you look set apart in this world. It's normal for Christians to look weird. And I don't mean a weirdness that's just like they're off-putting and the world looks at you and goes, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to walk like that. I mean a weirdness and a strangeness that the world goes, you live backward of so many of the values of our culture. You look nothing like a newscast that comes on during the day. Like you look like you have this peace. You look like you have this connection to something otherworldly. You have these standards that are so different than everybody else. You're being built up as a royal priesthood. A holy nation. The Bible, or 1 Peter talks about how we are this spiritual house being built up. And as our future home on Hamilton Road is being built, we thought, you know what? Let's call our church to be built different from the word of God. And every week I've been trying to tell y'all, these aren't just theological realities. They are realities for you to take hold of. And they change your Monday. They change your Tuesday. They change your whole week. Trying to make it practical. And then I got to this week. And this week I don't have to try to make it practical. It's just straight up. Black and white, from Peter, all about how we can submit to governing authorities, to masters if we are slaves, we'll get to that in a second, and to husbands if we are wives. And so I'm reading through this, and I'm like, I should have given this to Matt or Gage. Like, I literally had that thought. I was like, I should have passed this one off, let somebody else handle some of these difficulties. But almost everything that Peter's going to say in what we read today is countercultural to what we see in the world around us. But here's what I want you to know about this moment. 
ACC is not interested in skipping over or ignoring what the Bible explicitly says. And where the Bible says something that is countercultural to the natural flow of what everybody else is thinking, maybe the Bible is not the problem. Maybe we are the problem. And maybe we need to adjust ourselves in submission to the word of God to actually discover what true freedom actually looks like. And so, not wasting any more time if you brought your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up in Birmingham, hold it up in Lake Martin, hold it up all over this room, hold them up high, hold them up high. The further back you get, the less Bibles you see. I wonder what that's all about. You're supposed to have your Bible. If you're on the back row, you're usually Baptist, but you carry one. Okay, oh, whoa, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Anybody grow up a back row Baptist, like legitimately? Anybody in this room? See, you've made progress, sanctification. That's great. Or you came in late and there was no other seat. That's so awesome. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 13 all the way to the end of the chapter, and then the first seven verses of chapter 3. So this is a long passage. As I'm reading it, Please allow this to speak to you right where you are. Let's just trust that the Bible is sufficient. Please don't walk out when you hear something that bothers you. And let's go through this journey together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes rather it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in the sight in God's sight For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Oh my gosh, like I, I, I read that passage, second time I've read it today, and both times I'm like out of breath. 
by the end of it. I'm like, wow, that is a mind, a minefield and a minefield of potential opportunities to be offended and difficult teaching to actually live your life by. And it really needs about 10 weeks of preaching to go into all the nuances that happen culturally in each one of these areas. I'm going to get to some of those in just a few minutes. But I wanted to do this all as one sermon because I believe Peter is hitting on the same theme intentionally. And he's actually bothering you intentionally. Did you notice in each one of these things, he said, submit, 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 three different areas. And each time he gives a command to submit, he adds on someone who's really difficult to submit to in that context. So he says, submit to governing authorities, even the emperor. At the time, the emperor was a Caesar named Nero who killed Christians. We're gonna talk a little bit about him later. And then he says, if you're a slave, submit to your master, even a master who's unjust. And then if you're a wife, submit to your husband, even if he's an unbeliever. And so he's going, submit, submit, submit. And the picture that he's trying to paint is not the picture of someone who lives their life as a doormat and lets authority structures do everything that they want to do in any way they want to. What he's painting a picture of is a submitted life, not to each one of these entities or people, but a submitted life to God. And it's actually the most free life you can possibly live. And so I want to give you a title of this sermon. And the title will seem like an oxymoron, but just go with me on this. It's called The Freedom of Submission. The freedom of submission. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're free. You're free. And look at the person you just ignored and say, you're also a slave. You're also a slave. At the same time, the freedom of submission. This is counterintuitive. This is so backward. It's a paradox, but it's what it means to be a Christian. Martin Luther 500 years ago said it this way. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. He's like, Christian, oh, total freedom. Free from any external authority, in the hands of God. Freed from their sin, freed in the sight of God. Like, you have not tasted freedom until you have tasted Christian freedom. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God is all about your freedom. And at the exact same time, he's all about your slavery. He's all about you being under his authority and actually chaining your life to being a child of God. And so you hear that, the freedom of submission, and this is something that is so key for young people to get because I did not agree with God on this and it got proven to me again and again in my life, not because I agreed to it, but because I would disobey God and find this principle to be true. It's this, you will never find freedom outside of the authority of God. Maximum freedom is always found under the authority of God. And so we don't think that way, especially as Americans. This message would have not played well on July 4th a week ago, so I'm glad we took it off. Because what do we celebrate? We celebrate freedom from tyranny. Our country was founded on the idea that someone over there is not going to tell us what taxes we're going to pay and tell us what to do. No, we'll rebel, make our own government, and make our own country into this huge experiment that is still playing out to this day. You know that's the country you live in right now. And what the Bible is teaching is that actually freedom isn't the escape from anyone ruling over you. It's the willful submission to the only master and ruler who's sovereign and loving over all the world, your heavenly father. That's where real freedom is found. And what you do and what I do is we try to find freedom by gaining control. But the scriptures teach that true freedom and true peace is found by giving over control and living your life in submission. And the faster you learn this, the less miserable your life will be. 
Because you'll search your whole life trying to find freedom and answers outside of the authority of God, when in reality, everything that you've been looking for all along were actually underneath his authority. Now, this is where it gets really convicting. Here's how you can know whether or not you're living your life under the authority of God. Here's how you can know whether or not your life is submitted to God. How do you handle difficult relationships with the government that rules over you, with bosses or parents or people in general who have authority over you, or with your spouse if you're married? And the state of those relationships reveal more about whether or not you're submitted to God than they do about whether or not you're being treated fairly. The state of your spirit in those relationships reveals your submission to God. Those relationships are not just the product of circumstances and how you happen to be treated and how a system happens to be working right now. They're actually the opportunity to demonstrate whether or not your life is actually in the hands of God and you actually believe what you say when you say, God, you can have all of me, like I'm making room for you, whatever you wanna do. Come on, for so many of us, those are just words on the screen. It's not actually how we live our lives, especially in these relationships. And what Peter points out as he talks about the freedom of living in submission is he goes, you have the perfect example when you look at the person of Jesus. Because if this teaching bothers you, it's supposed to. But it's supposed to take you straight into the crucifixion of Jesus and ask the question, in this moment, is Jesus a doormat or is he free? And when you look closely, look at verse 23. This is what it says. This is the very middle of the passage. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's a teaching going around today, even people who profess Christianity, that Jesus never willfully died, that he was oppressed, he had his life taken from him. And on the surface, you can see why people would think that. He's abused by two different systems. Number one, he's abused by the Roman Empire who had the Jewish people under slavery. And so the Romans have the capacity to lord over Jesus' authority and do things like crucify them at will. But he was also betrayed by the Jews particularly the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who were jealous of the attention Jesus was getting because his movement was so miraculous that it felt like the whole world was going to follow this man. And Jesus, in that context, has insults being thrown at him. He never retaliates. He has lies made up about him, and he doesn't even confirm the truth about them. Remember Pilate? Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus because his wife is having dreams and he knows the Jewish people only want to crucify him because they're jealous of him. He knows this whole thing is wrong. And he's like, come on, Jesus, give me something. Like say, you know I have the power to take your life, right? And how does Jesus respond? You only have that power because it was given to you from on high. He was so aware of where true authority lied that he wasn't a doormat for other people to walk over. He was in humble submission to the one who judges justly. I love this verse. He entrusted himself. The Greek word there is paradidomai. It means like the total handing over of your soul. So Jesus is not going, okay, God has called me to make myself punished by the Romans and killed by the Jews. He goes, no. I take my case up with the God who's in control of all of it. And my submission is not slavery. My submission is freedom. Because now my spirit and my story 
is not ruled by how people treat me. My spirit and my story is ruled by the one who rules the cosmos. This is true freedom. It's when you remove your spirit from being dictated by how people treat you or how governments rule you or the state of your marriage right now. And now your spirit is ruled by the fact that the God who says he sent Jesus to die for you is the same God who's in control of every detail of your life. And that God has the capacity to take things that are unfair and unjust that come against you and turn it around for a story for your good. Look at the very next verse in verse 24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Y'all notice this. These verses, they come out of nowhere in this passage. The passage is like, submit to governing authorities, even if they're evil. Submit to masters, even if they're unjust. Submit to your husband, even if he's an unbeliever. Submit, submit, submit. But in the middle of it, he's like, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so he might die to sins and it's like Peter that's good news I love that you're presenting the gospel at all times but how is that relevant to everything you are saying right now and y'all this is when I'm reading my bible and I have to fight the same things you have to fight I have to fight the fact that the iphone has hijacked my attention span and that to get revelation from God you have to slow down your brain long enough to actually pour over the scriptures and let them speak to you what does this mean why is this here because Peter's stopping and he goes hey When they hurled insults at him and they murdered him, just know they thought they were in total control, but they weren't because they thought they were murdering and putting away an insurrectionist who they didn't want anymore. But what they were really doing in the sovereign hand of God was accomplishing on God's behalf your salvation. How in the world does our God do something like that? That's so good. He's like, oh, oh okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not in control at all, clearly. Like, this is, just, this is just chaos. These people are so sinful. No, the most sinful, heinous act in the history of humanity, God goes, salvation for all who would believe. So what you do when you put your soul in the hands of God is you actually create the capacity for outcomes that are not possible for you to instruct or instrument yourself. You're not going to get there on your own, but you get there when you go, okay, I've entrusted my soul to the one who judges justly. And I would argue for people in this room who have an issue living under the authority of God, you might be mad at God today for something unrelated to governmental authorities or your marriage or something else. You might be struggling with the idea of living under the authority of God. I'm telling you, when you entrust your story, however little it makes sense to you right now, into the hands of God, instead of of keeping your hands around it, that is where true peace is found. You will always stay anxious and always live in worry the more you try to find freedom and peace by getting your hands around people and around situations and around the story. But the more you back up and go, okay, I'll do this your way. Your way is better. There's freedom to be found there. And I realize what I read does not sound like freedom. Even if you believe everything I've said so far in this sermon, it still looks a lot like slavery. And still looks very difficult to implement. So what I want to do is I want to have a little Bible study. I want to go into the actual passage and show you how 2,000 years ago, in context, this is true Christian freedom. And it actually has implications for how we're living as Auburn Community Church in 2021. And it's going to be hard. You guys want to have a Bible study? Go back to the beginning of the passage. Here we go, guys. Remember, I didn't write this. That's one of the things I love about preaching. I never have to make up my own ideas. It's like, okay, we got to this passage. Remember, I didn't make this up. This Peter, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors 
Who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right? Submit yourselves. What does that mean? That means to arrange your life under the authority of another. Submission is to arrange your life under the authority of another. Don't miss this phrase, for the Lord's sake. So why do I submit to government authorities for their sake? No, 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 for God's sake. This isn't for the response to, okay, you're leading me in a way that's honorable, so I honor you. It's even if you lead me in a dishonorable way, I will recognize that the one who is sovereign over the position that maybe you gained by means that are not necessarily correct, or maybe I feel that way, I can still honor you. Yeah, this is going to get relevant. I can still submit to you because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the Lord's sake. And when it's for the Lord's sake, submission is possible. Watch this. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by who? By God with real powers and capacity to prevent harm in society. So here's what you need to know. Peter is talking about an emperor, Nero, who killed thousands of Christians. He was a bad leader. And he needed people to blame. And so this huge group of people that was growing and growing, believing that this Jewish Messiah rose from the dead, he would alternate between persecuting Christians and persecuting Jews. His favorite way of persecuting Christians was to do one of two things, to put them like torches in the streets and just burn them at night. Like instead of having torches that are burning wood, they're burning Christians. 2,000 years ago, world Peter lives in. Or do it for sport in the Colosseum and allow Christians to be eaten in front of people as some kind of amusement. This is Nero. And he would do this because it was like, it's their fault that things are going bad. It's their fault that you're poor. It's their fault that this atrocity happened. It's their fault. And Nero is the emperor who gave the order for Paul to be beheaded. And after 1 Peter is written, Nero will give the order for Peter to be crucified. And I love Peter's humble defiance when he's crucified. You guys know the story? They tell Peter, it's over. You're getting crucified. And he's like, no, I will not die the same way my Lord died. I am unworthy. You can nail me to that cross, but nail me upside down. And Peter died upside down on a cross at the hands of the very emperor he's calling Christians to honor and submit to. And I bring this up. Because there's a group of people tuning in today and there's a group of people in this room who I could say one of two names and it has immediate ability to take all of your peace away today and make your stomach turn. Back in November, I preached a message called Citizens of Heaven, the Sunday right before the election, because I feel like we needed to be reminded, whoever gets elected, if President Trump gets another four years or if we're calling Joe Biden our new president, which we eventually did, Either way, we're citizens of another land. We participate in this. We participate in things politically, but we don't give our hearts and our worship to them. We, we, we do our part there, but we are part of another kingdom, and we are citizens of a kingdom, by the way, where a king, not a president, a king sits on the throne with absolute power. His name is Jesus. Just felt like that needed to be the reminder. Well, here's what I've watched happen. Since November, I've watched that moment lead to cycles of fear and anger and bitterness on both sides that have no place in the church. So if I can say President Joe Biden, or I can say former President Donald Trump, and either one of those names starts to rob you internally of your peace, the word of God is in front of you today to convict you of your sin. And I don't say that lightly. I say that humbly 
as one of the people who has a problem. So I like, I always feel like I had the capacity to disconnect myself from caring very much about politics. I had major ambitions growing up. First, I wanted to go to the NBA and be like Iverson, as I told many of you. That did not work for various reasons. I got hurt, and I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it was not good enough. And uh, don't you love the guy who the excuse is always the injury that took away his massive career that never would have blossomed? But um, I, 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 won't, I had big ambition, and I wanted to be a part of change in the world. And if I thought that something in Washington, D.C. could ultimately change the trajectory of the world that we're living in. I would have gone down that route. I truly believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that the kingdom of God advancing on planet earth is God's plan A for how the poor are cared for, for how racism ends, for how abortion ends, for how we start to live lives on planet earth the way the people of God are called to value every human life in a system where God is king. So that's why I'm the pastor of a church. But I noticed for the first time in my life, 2020 into 2021, it got me. I, I started noticing some anxiousness in my spirit. I started intentionally diving into articles that were like fueling the, ugh. Whatever side you're on, can we all just agree that if you're on your phone long enough, you will end up going, what is wrong with humanity? Like, stop. There's so many moments where I'm just like, oh. This is so not what I want. And I'm noticing this angst in my spirit. And then I'm noticing like out at meals with friends, I'm like curbing conversations in the direction of politics. I don't ever do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just so annoyed by this. I'm so bothered by this. I can't believe this. And, 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 and I'm in a position where 2020 caused so many conversations to happen that I think every pastor who led through that and didn't give up on ministry needs counseling from. And I'm not saying that, ha ha, lightly. I'm like, that we do. And, and it was a lot. But I, but I think a lot of that was over-processing, so I started noticing, oh, man, I've given over a little bit too much of myself to something that's supposed to be disconnected from my spirit. And the reason why submission to God is freeing is because you have the capacity to free up any leader who governs over you into the hands of God because you belong to the king of the entire universe, and you're in an eternal story that God is going to unfold for your good and for his glory. And so I always tell our people, yes, you should have strong opinions. Yes, you should participate as a believer in Jesus. But you should never participate so much so that your peace is being stolen. And just want to get up in some of our faces and go, it's, it's clear, your peace is being stolen. Like, you don't have strong opinions about key issues. You have a problem. You are too passionate about the wrong thing. And you need to curb your anger toward the guy in the Oval Office or the guy who, wherever he is now, I know he got kicked off of everything. You need to curb your anger toward that person and make it all about, okay, God, you have placed in position every authority on planet Earth. But the election was a hoax. God's in control. Okay? That's got to stop. That has no place in church. And the church has to be a place where we go, it's important, we participate. But however honorable or corrupt that system is, we are free people. And our freedom makes us slaves of being ambassadors for Christ. So this submission, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a doormat. It makes you a person with sanity in a world that's going insane. 
It makes you do the thing that Peter's been talking about the whole book, which is be in the world, but not of the world. It makes you a chosen generation. It makes you a holy nation. It makes people go, what's going on with you? Because the whole world is getting turned upside down by what's happening politically, what's happening economically, what's happening racially. But you seem like you're going in a completely different direction. It's like, because I am. Because my peace is not tied to an outcome that I have to have there. My peace is tied to the author who's going to write this story his way. And that's freedom. I got to deal with the second one. The second one's all about slavery. And this is where we got to get in context. Let's, let's study this. Verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, this is very difficult. But 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, their system of economic slavery looked almost nothing like the African slave trade that we know in the United States of America as the abomination that it was. So when we read this, people get so bent out of shape, like the Bible is saying slavery is okay. No, the Bible of all documents ever written actually ascribes to the sanctity and value of every human life, regardless of race or age, more than any other document ever written. The Bible is all about freedom. But the Bible also speaks to real situations that people lived in. And 2,000 years ago, the system of slavery was actually a system to help the impoverished community. Because 2,000 years ago, there's no middle class. It's few, elite, rich, poor. And if you were so poor that you literally had no options for, I don't know where I'm going to live and I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day, you could actually choose to enter into slavery and you would go live in another's home and serve there. There were actually avenues that the government had for you to earn back your freedom. But over time, it was a much better position for you to be in economically. Now, do not hear me say, y'all, 2,000 years ago, slavery was awesome. No, it's not awesome. But it's just not the way we think about it as Americans today. And so that's why Peter's got to address it, because he's going, listen, you might have a master that you work for who is so commendable and honorable, or you might have one that is so unjust and it's not okay, but you can't let the authority that is over you dictate your spirit. So you're going to be like Jesus and allow your case to be argued in heaven before God. Now, we don't have any of that context in this room. I know slavery is not dead today, and we need to continue to be a church that's on the front lines fighting it where it still exists. But for most of you, that's not your fight. But most of you do have a boss, and you do have a parent, and you do have authority structures that are allowed in your life. If you're an athlete, you have refs who, that was a major struggle for me growing up. It was like, you have authority, but you shouldn't, and I just need to coach you on why you shouldn't. Like There are authority structures that exist all around us. And I would ask the question, Is your willingness to submit to said authorities in your life a reflection of how submitted you are to God or a reflection of how unfair you think you've been treated? And if it's a reflection of how submitted you are to God, you're going to be your boss's favorite person, even if he or she is a terrible boss, because you're a Christian and because we're a holy nation. This is is the way we're talking about living. And then we get to the last one. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. I want to first of all say, whenever the Bible talks about wives submitting to their husbands, that is not something that translates to a wife being abused physically, emotionally, or sexually. So we got to be careful when we teach this, because there have been Christian women who have felt like they need to remain in an abusive relationship because the Bible calls them to submit. That is not biblical. You need community to rally around you and help you get delivered from the situation that you are in. 
What Peter is describing is what was happening 2,000 years ago is women were being won over in their faith, and then the husband was coming home and going, oh, you believe that this Jewish Messiah who died is the son of God and rose from the dead? And this was a big problem culturally because you were supposed to go with, the whole family is supposed to go with whatever the father's religion is. So if the father goes, no, we're still worshiping pagan gods, then that's what you do. And so Peter's going, here's what you need to do. You need to be so considerate with a gentle and humble spirit that he's actually won over by the way you love and serve him, even if he doesn't believe in what you say, in, in, in what you are saying is true about Jesus. That's the context of this happening. But I want to argue when we talk about submission, that submission is not weakness in marriage. Submission is strength. Is it weakness for Jesus to submit to the will of his father even though they are co-equal? No, it's strength. And the picture of Jesus, co-equal with God, but living his life in submission to the will of the father is something that I want to challenge our wives with. When you read something like this, it can be easy to go, why am I getting told to submit and why am I being put in a position that's so uncomfortable for me? I want you to think about Jesus submitting to the will of the Father and the perfect design of the Trinity that's in union with one another. That's a big picture of the reality that God wants to paint through a marriage. But I also want you to know, whenever God calls you to submit, he's also calling your husband to lead. So wives, when you read this, are you not bothered by the fact that Peter's got six verses for you and only one for us? It's like, do this, do this, wear this, wear this. Husbands, one thing. It's like... Really? But here's what you don't realize. A bigger problem in our church is not that we have, we have some, but I, I would say it's few. It's not about domineering husbands who are too controlling and doing too much. A bigger problem in our church is that we have passive husbands who need to take up more of a mantle of leadership. And what Peter is saying is he's saying, as I'm telling her to submit, you know what I'm telling him to do? Lead. Because someone can't be submitted to the leadership of one who puts back the leadership on the wife. So the six verses for the wife are really also about putting pressure on the husband to go, this is your mantle to carry. This is your priesthood of your home. You better be ready to lead. And then he throws on my least favorite verse in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, which says, if a husband's not considerate to his wife, his prayers can be hindered. I cannot stand that verse, y'all. It's like, there are times where I've been praying and I have felt this distance, this unnatural distance between me and God. And I'm like, God, what is it? Like, I just can't, I'm here and I'm saying, oh, that's right, yeah. I have been ruthless with my wife for six days. And God's going, you repent and make that right before you come talk to me. Husbands are the only people in the Bible who God says, I will shut my ear to your prayers if you don't figure that out before you come into my presence. He protects women, protects the wife. And so don't think that the husband is disconnected because as the wife submits to the husband, you know who the husband has to submit to? Jesus. And we're all called to live in this state of all-encompassing all humility and submission that leads to true freedom. Now look up here, I know. I just ran the gauntlet of a lot of things that could potentially be offensive. I'm sweaty. I wore a dark shirt today to try to hide that. Like, I was like, two services in, I made it through. I don't think the message of today is all about me getting in front of you going, do a better job with governing authorities, do a better job with your boss, do a better job at home in your marriage. I think that's part of it. But I think these three things are supposed to be a litmus test to whether or not your life is truly submitted to God. And I think we got to redefine submission. 
Because to say I'm submitted to God, for a lot of you, you think you get a pass because you prayed a prayer when you were little and you call yourself a Christian. And look at you. You're at church this morning. Clearly, you're submitted to God. But submission to God is not about ascribing to a religion. Submission to God is about asking the question, have I really, like, really put my whole self in the hands of God in full surrender? I call it blank check living, where it's like, God, I've given you permission to define everything about my reality. Now, for the younger people who are with us, a check is a piece of paper. <laughs> I know, this is crazy. It's before Venmo. It's a piece of paper that you could write a monetary value attached to your bank account. I know, this is like 50 years ago. But you could write something that takes money out of your account. And if you leave it blank, if you put someone's name on it, you sign it and leave it blank, you basically give the person you have given it to permission to take up to 100% of whatever you have in your account. And I'm saying being a Christian is about doing that with your soul before God. It's about going, whatever you say, whatever you have called me to, and whatever it means to walk in obedience, my life is an offering. I don't have permission to make calls about where my family lives or what I'm called to do. I don't have permission to say, we're going to walk this way and do this. Now, there is a freedom to make real decisions in real time. But in a real way, Jesus says, I need everything if you're going to follow me. And so we started this series, and I did a I did a whole sermon talking about how do I know if I'm in the family of God? And I asked this simple question, do you love Jesus? I want to ask another simple question today, and it's really the whole message summarized. How do I know if I'm submitted to God? It's by your answer to this question. We'll put it on the screen. Is your obedience optional? Is your obedience optional? That's how you know whether or not you are truly submitted to God. And there are a lot of people who call themselves Jesus followers, who hear from the word of God, who hear messages like the one I just preached, who have one-on-one -on -one times with the Lord, or they have a revelation of something from God, and they actually believe that they have the authority to pick and choose where it's right for them to obey or disobey God. And I want to humbly say that is not a life submitted to God. A life submitted to God is whatever I'm in. And I believe this is a progressive journey to get your heart completely there. But I also believe it's something that's unmistakable in the life of a believer. Like if I looked at your life, is it clear that you pick and choose where the voice of God is allowed to call you out and convict you and move you in a certain direction and then just ignore others and put them off to the side? And y'all, we could have very easily ignored this text and moved on to the next, the next part of 1 Peter's awesome. But we're looking at it and we're, we're giving our whole lives to this because we believe that true freedom is found on the other side of truth. Then you will know the what? The truth and it will set you free. So living your life in truth is about living your life blank check before the Lord. And I'm telling you, if you're younger and you're not married, you're like, this whole section on marriage, that's not really relevant to me. Here's what is relevant. Dating advice. The number one thing to look for in someone you are looking to marry is how they respond to the voice of God. You are looking for, is obedience to God optional for them? Or when they hear the voice of God, when they see something in the scriptures, not perfectly, but do they conform their life in response to what Jesus calls them to do? You find someone like that, and I promise you, you are going to have a healthy marriage. Because your marriage is not going to be driven by that person. That person is being driven by Jesus, who's also driving your life. That's what I found in Courtney. That is the number one thing in college I noticed about her because I noticed when each one of us would have seasons of difficulty and struggle, she had this ability to go, if God says it, that's it. 
There's a conversation of getting our hearts on board. There's a process of making sure that we heard that clearly and that that's exactly what God wants me to do. But at the end of the day, if he's going to say it, I'm going to live my life in humble submission to him. And there's a freedom that comes from knowing my life story is not going to be written by the decisions that I decided to make. I'm going to make my decisions in submission to the one who makes calls on my destiny. And so, God, you have it all. Is obedience optional for you? You're not fully submitted to God. And the best way to keep your life practically in perfect submission, in my opinion, is to make the most enslaving position on the earth your position of freedom. Like, I believe, this is just practically in my life right now, I know I'm going long, but there's just so much that God has given me. And then it's like, oh, two times in a row, that's great. Well, you came back. Um, but I, God has, God has shown me some stuff in my one-on-one times with him. He's unlocking, like, new practices of how to get alone with him. And it's going to come out once it's been fully ironed out in my life personally. But I'm trying to do something where every morning I make sure before 9 a.m. that this position has been taken up physically at some point. And this right here, bowed face down on the ground, I would do that if my mic wasn't going to feedback. But this position, in my opinion, is the most enslaving and freeing position there is. And it's the place where you admit once again, I'm not God. And that's a good thing. You are in control of my kids. You are in control of this government. You are in control of the story. And the more you make this your home, the more submission becomes your freedom. So I give you one practical thing as the Holy Spirit gets involved in my sermon outside through thunder. It would be make that position your home. Two questions to talk about in your community group this week. Here they are. Number one, what authority has God put over you that you need to release into God's hands today? This is great for lunch conversation. This is great for community group. I want the points today to lead to more discussion and practical outworking as we go out from here. So what authority has God put over you that you need to release into God's hands today? It could be our president. It could be your spouse. It could be your boss. It could be police officers. It could be anybody who's in a position of authority where you're going, you know what? I have taken that, and the burden of who they are has led to me being, I would say, stricken by this anxiety and paralyzing fear because of another. If that's where you are, you need to place that person back in God's hands today and remind yourself you're not in control. You're under authority, and that is a great thing. Number two is this. What area of your life have you taken authority over that needs to be released into God's hands today? What area of your life have you, and you know it, you've put your arms around it. You've said, this is mine. It could be money. It could be your kid's future. It could be all over the place today. But what area of your life have you said, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting my hands on this, and I'm going to be the one who dictates this direction. And the way you can know, y'all can turn him on, by the way, because I'm done. And if he doesn't start playing, then I'm probably not going to stop. You can know that when my life is totally and completely in the hands of God, I'm ready and willing to wait for him. I believe part of the practical outworking of this message is a readiness and a willingness to wait on the Lord. There he is. And as you wait on the Lord, it'll be revealed to you whether or not you really believe in the sovereignty of God. Y'all look up here. Don't miss this. The sovereignty of God is more total than you've given him credit for. He is sovereign over every ounce of human history and every ruler who sits in a position of authority. He is sovereign over the fact that there are not two human beings made just alike. 
there are also not two snowflakes that are the same. Our God has been sovereign and intricately involved in every detail of creation from the beginning. So I want to ask you, whatever you're freaking out about today and tempted to hold control, why do you think that's the one thing God's not going to pay close attention to? He's paying close attention to your marriage. He's paying close attention to those guys at work who seem like they're getting promoted faster than you. He's paying attention to the fact that this is unfair to you. He's paying attention to to the fact that you want to have children and you can't. He's paying attention to whatever you're tempted to go. I'm tired of waiting on you, God. I just want to hold this. Stay under his authority. Wait for the Lord. And I promise in due time, you will see in the story how submission is truly the freedom your soul longs for. You can stand up all over this place. Y'all can stand up in Birmingham and Lake Martin. I know y'all got live worship out there. I'm going to pray and y'all are going to step right into those moments. But here's what we want to happen. We want people to become Christians today who thought they were Christians before they heard this message. And now they know what full and true submission looks like. It doesn't mean I'm a Christian, I ascribe to those beliefs. It means my life is in God's hands. So everybody bow your heads in this moment. If you're here and maybe your whole life, you've assumed that you've been walking in step with your good shepherd. Man, this could be the first time that you go, I truly know what it means to live in submission, God. Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be stories that come from this day of people who thought they knew what it meant to submit to you. And they come to a place of true and total surrender. God, I just admit that for me, that makes me so uncomfortable. I don't wanna do it. I wanna grab the pen. I wanna grab the reins. I wanna be the one who controls the story. God, I wanna control the narrative of where our country is going. I wanna know that the world my kids are gonna live in is safe. God, I want a lot of things. But at the end of the day, what I want more than anything is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, get all of our hearts there. Don't let one of us stay in that position of feeling like we have to be the one who makes it happen. We give you permission to be God and we admit right now that we're not. You can have it all, Lord, every part of our lives, every part of our souls. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.